Welcome to the Mark Staring Music Podcast. This podcast is an audio journal of my guests and I's adventures throughout the live and local music biz. Fun conversations, cool tunes, and good times will be had. My name is Mark Starry, and I'm a 15-plus-year veteran of the Twin Cities, Minnesota metro music scene. Check me out at Mark Starry, that's S-T-A-R-Y, music.net. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All of my original music, including my new track, Dog Park, is available for download on iTunes, CD Baby, etc. This podcast drops every Tuesday, if not before, on iTunes, SoundCloud, and most other places podcasts are available. If you enjoy it, please subscribe on iTunes. It's totally free and guarantees you'll never miss an episode. If you got an extra buck or two that you wouldn't mind tossing in the podcast tip jar, please visit patreon.com forward slash Mark Starry Music Podcast. Also, considering helping get the word out in the street via social media, five-star rating and review on iTunes, word of mouth, etc. Happy Thought of the Day is by Mark Marin. I'm not for everyone. I'm barely for me. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. Enjoy! back to the Mark Sterry Music Podcast, episode 100. My goal when I started this podcast was to reach 100 episodes, and thanks to all the guests, listeners, subscribers, and Patreon supporters, we finally reached that goal. All episodes, past and present, are available for free on iTunes, SoundCloud, and most places on-demand audio is available. So many fun memories, adventures, and great guests. I encourage you to flip through the archive and listen to what some of your favorite artists have to say about things. I'm having way too much fun to stop this project now, so I'll do my best to keep things up and running around here and continue to enjoy where this podcast adventure takes me. And I hope you continue to ride along. Last week's Geeks Wrap-Up. Wednesday, I played a solo show at Pub 42 in New Hope, Minnesota. Thanks to Macklemore Corey for the Strowman shirt and a big happy birthday to Oz. Thursday, I played a solo show at Lucky's 13 in Burnsville, Minnesota. For the fun of it, I played an acoustic version of the song Motown Philly by Boys to Men. And afterwards, an elderly couple sitting right next to me started waving and said, Thanks, Mark. Friday, I played a solo show at Nova in Hudson, Wisconsin. I went with my 70s and 80s cheesy song set list, and folks had a great time playing Guess That Artist and Song. Also, thanks to my buddy Huffer for backing up our classic Air Supply concert story. Saturday, I played a wedding in Timberland, Wisconsin for the owners of Bistro 63. Chrissy and Gino had a beautiful day, and guest singer Maggie doing her rendition of Turn the Page was definitely a highlight. Sunday, I played a solo show at Babes in Lakeville, Minnesota. The classic business rule of no shirt, no shoes, no service, I saw carried out in full effect as a guy got thrown out of the show for having no shirt and no shoes on. It was one of those days. Upcoming shows. 
Wednesday, September 13th, 2017. I'll be playing a solo show at Pub 42 in New Hope, Minnesota from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. Thursday, September 14th, I'll be playing a solo show at Tuttle's in Hopkins, Minnesota from 6 to 8 p.m. Friday, September 15th, Brian K. Johnson and myself will be rocking out at Lucky's 13 in Plymouth, Minnesota from 8 to 11 p.m. Saturday, September 16th, Mr. Brian K. Johnson and myself will be jamming at Vanelli's by the Lake in Forest Lake, Minnesota from 5.30 to 8.30 p.m. Guest this week. is part one of three with the legendary Minnesota singer-songwriter Martin Zeller. We discuss Martin's high school band Fallout, Old Photos, Austin, Texas, Warren Zavon, etc. Enjoy the conversation! Mr. Martin Zeller, welcome to the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. How are you doing today, my friend? Excellent. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Oh, this is we. This will be my 100th episode. Really? And I wanted to do it with one of my favorite musicians of all time, one of my favorite heroes as far as songwriting, singing, and especially one of the one of my definitely Mount Rushmores of the Twin Cities music scene. Oh, thank um, you, Martin Zeller. Thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on the show. We're here at uh, uh, Martin's son's house here in St. Paul, Minnesota, and it's cool, like a Georgian colonial, big old house like that, really neat. We're, we're talking about vinyl and stuff. Full of all my gear. I store my gear here, too. So, <laughs> so it is a beautiful summer day here in St. Paul, and we were talking about podcasts, and Martin, you were just mentioning you just you cut a podcast with your high school band. Yeah, I cut one with my high school band and one with the gear daddies that, I don't know, when or if they're going to be released, but we taped them just to kind of get some of those memories down for posterity. Yeah, what was the name of your high school band? Fallout. Fallout? Fallout. We were, well, this was, we discussed this in detail. My memory is that we were awful. Uh, the other guys, I think they, their opinion was that we were mediocre. But my, from what I remember, we were really not good. And we worked all the time. So it just it speaks to the dearth of live music in southern Minnesota back in the 80s. And you're from Austin, right? Austin, Minnesota? Correct. Um, what kind of music were you playing in Fallout? Oh, jeez. It sounds like a hard rock band or something. No, no, no. It was, we literally played anything, whatever we needed to play to get into whatever venues. So we would do biker bars. So we kind of learned enough stuff that we could do a biker bar and we did a lot of homecomings and proms and then we just did top 40 stuff and that was one of the games I played with with the other guys in the high school bands we had to go around in a circle and each come up with a song that was on our set list until there was last man standing wow and it was everything game. from it was everything from uh london calling to the breakup song to Downtown by... Downtown? <laughs> Downtown. When you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always go. Downtown. When you've got worries, all the noise and the hurry seems to help, I know. Downtown. Just listen. Now, it was all over the place. and But again, you know, we just wanted to work and... There were only so many venues and opportunities down there, so we learned whatever we needed to do to 
play whatever venue. What was some of your favorite ones? Were you the front guy, singer, and guitar yeah. player? Yeah. What was some of your favorites to play in the band Fallout? I, uh, I kind of brought all the Clash stuff because about the time I hit my junior year in college, I decided I was super radical and I got into, got way into the Clash and the Ramones. <laughs> So I started throwing the Clash stuff in, which was pretty edgy for Austin, Minnesota back in 1981. Yeah. But uh, I also, but, you know, I say that like I was cool, but I also was loved the cars. <laughs> so okay. we did just about anything from the cars because we, we had the only guy that owned a Moog synthesizer in southern Minnesota at that time, so it was a real novelty, so we utilized that a lot. But Okay. Uh, where'd you get the band name Fallout? Where'd that come from? Well, back you know back then, every school, every every building had the signs that led you to the Fallout shelter with the Fallout yep. triangle thing. So it was just it was ubiquitous. You saw the word Fallout okay. everywhere back then, and I don't know why. I think we started. We thought that the logo, the Fallout symbol, that the three triangles forming the triangle would would be a cool logo. So I think it. Maybe work backwards from there. Uh, very cool. I was going to ask you about your band name now, actually, uh, Martin Zeller and the Hardways. Mm-hmm. And we were just talking about how today, this horrible day, Ric Flair, one of our favorite wrestlers of all time, is in the hospital. You're talking to the Rolex wearing, diamond ring wearing, Kiss stealing, woo, wheeling, dealing, limousine riding, jet flying, son of a gun, and I'm having a hard time holding these alligators down. Woo! And um, I know you were just mentioning Mark Marin was a podcast you liked. Mm-hmm. And I was just going to recommend he stars in a new TV series on Netflix. Glow, love it. Oh, Glow, and I love it. Love it too. It's amazing. I'm on episode I binged, nine. I binge watched it like in a night. So did you really? I'm already through it. Yeah. Wasn't he spectacular? He he. It was seamless. Who could have guessed that he would be that seamless an actor? Really dry. I mean, yeah. No, I it was surprising. No, I loved that. I loved the show. Yeah, it was spectacular. But I was wondering, I don't know why I was thinking of this, but Hardway, what, why did you name, what's, what's a Hardway? A Hardway is a type of bet in craps. It's like hitting a point in craps with two of the same numbers. So hitting an eight, the Hardway is hitting an eight with two fours, hitting oh. a two. So it's just a, it's a craps term and... I don't know why. You know, with every band name I've ever had, it's just a matter of you come up with... You you reach a point where you have to come up with something, so you throw something out there, and you're kind of like, well, we'll come up with something better later, and then eventually all of a sudden it's just your name, and that's that. Yeah, but since you're in the show Glow, they use all the wrestling terms and stuff, and Hardway is an old-school wrestling term about opening up a guy when they want to fight and they want to get some bleeding or color or whatever and they would scratch each uh, their top of their forehead with a razor blade or something when they oh wrestled. really and a hard way is when they just do it as hard as they can they actually punch people they start bleeding it's a famous wow. old wrestling term I had not I did not know that I, I don't know if they've used it yet on glow but it's one of the main ones so 
the romantic in me was hoping it was a wrestling term. Hard ways used to be used to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that wrestling was not a work. I think that horse has left the barn. I don't think it was. I don't think it, if it would have been used on Glow, I think I would have noticed it right yeah. away, like just because of the band name thing. Yeah, my buddy Dave Burkhart, who's a fellow musician, stopped by today. He hired me to draw a picture of Nikki Newman from The Young and the Restless for his grandmother in the nursing home. I can't make this up. <laughs> yeah. And so I was asking him, I said, yeah, I'm going to ask him about the hard way thing. It would be kind of funny to start the podcast. And he goes, no, it's just a, it's a dice thing, man. Yeah. So yeah, he was totally right. <laughs> but anyway, um, I wanted to show you something. I brought this. I went to my storage locker this morning. And I found this. 20 years ago, you and I. Wow, is that like by the U event? Where's that at? Menominee, Wisconsin, oh. at UW Stout. You know what? I think I have some video footage of that show that somebody sent me. And I think there's another picture. <laughs> oh, yeah, the old uh, Chet Atkins SST, which is a prototype. That guitar is worth some money now just because it was... Really? I, I got it from Gibson, but they were just kind of were about to throw it away, I think, because it was one of the first, like the design model of that. Uh-huh. And they were sending it around to players to like get their feedback, and then they'd give them feedback, and they'd come back, and they'd mod it out a little bit more. So it's kind of a Frankenstein guitar, but I still have it. Cool. Down, down in the basement. Huh. I remember, the, do you remember this show at all? It was raining outside, and I think you, you had to move inside and play. Oh, okay, well, so that's I not the one was. I have the video footage of, then, because the one I have video footage of was outdoors. I know, I had brought all my college buddies thinking Martin Zeller's playing here, and I had to get a photo, and then ended up seeing you guys again at Subway eating after the show or something like that. But <laughs> That sounds about but, right. But I was uh, leaving the dog park this morning. I'm like, I'm going to go check the storage locker, see if I have that old photo. So I thought I'd grab it just to show you. Kind of fun. But yeah, I've been a big fan of yours for a very long time. Well, thanks for sticking with me. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what do you have going on nowadays? Uh, playing. Still playing. You know, kind of recording a new CD or album, whatever, bit by bit. Mm-hmm. Which is just kind of how I'm going to uh, do it now. Um, maybe i uh, going to start a little side project down in Austin, Texas. Uh, just because I have friends down there, musician friends, and I'm looking for a reason to get down there more often again. So okay. thinking about that, just kind of moving forward as always. It's yeah. year by year. How did you wind up working in Austin, Texas? Um... Well, I lived there for five years, almost six years, and it was a sort of a kind of almost like between bands. At that point, we didn't have a guitar player, and uh, and uh, there's so many great musicians down there. And again, I mainly I just wanted a reason to go and hang in Austin, Texas again for two or three weeks. Mm-hmm. So it was that, and then it just got to bring in so many amazing musicians. Kelly Willis sang on it, who was kind of a hero of mine. We were label mates on Ryko Disc. And... Yeah. 
Lloyd Maines. Yeah, yeah, she sings on a couple of them, and uh, Lloyd Maines plays Dobro and Pedal Steel on three songs. So you know, and I someone had told me I could get Lloyd Maines to come in and play, but the uh, the drummer uh, from the uh, the producer rather engineer producer is Joe Ely's drummer and the Flatlanders drummer and. Alejandro Escovedo's drummer, so he kind of is tied in big time with the Austin music scene, so his little black book of players was pretty deep. Wow. Um, were you really... Did you know a lot about the Texas country music scene, like Lloyd Maines and all that stuff before he went down there? Oh, yeah. I mean, um, singer-songwriter scene, yeah. I Actually, I became Joe Ely fan way back when because I found out he and Joe Strummer were like... Really, really close friends. Wow. So that intrigued me back in high school, like when I found this out, and I was like, who's Joe Ely? So I kind of stumbled on him early on. but uh, And then stumbled on Jimmy Dale Gilmore through, because he just, you know, became huge back when we were on, uh, when I was on Ryko Disc. And so when the Flatlanders came together, it was sort of a superstar Austin group became a big fan of them but no I knew a lot about that scene I'm a huge Patty Griffin fan I'm a huge uh, Lucinda Williams fan uh, I'm just a oh Patty Griffin that's one of the best singers of all time oh, songwriters too wow. I just her songwriting so she yeah, she lives she's in Austin person I mean there's a lot of great musicians that live there too did you ever get into like the the Charlie Robeson and that kind of stuff down there? Yeah, actually, uh, uh, um, Charlie and Bruce's sister just sang on some demos. Really? Yeah, I did. So Robin, um, and, and uh, Bruce is married to Kelly Willis. So is he really? Yeah. Oh gee. Is it wait? Yeah. Yeah, Bruce is married to Kelly was Willis. Charlie band. was married to one of the Dixie Dixie Which would be yeah. Lloyd, Lloyd Maines' daughter, Natalie, is a singer of that band. Right. She's one of my favorite singers of all time. Yeah, and Lloyd produced the first Dixie Chicks album, too. Did he really? Along, yeah, along with Plain. So is Lloyd playing the, the steel guitar throughout the whole Rooster's Crow record? Yeah, and the Dobro. He does Dobro, Dobro on... Uh, he does both. He does Dobro on Give and Take, and he does Pedal Steel on... Seven Shades of Blue, and one other one. I always ask at the end of the podcast, we, I just do these little short chunks, and I break them up into weeks or whatever, but um, like I texted earlier, one of my favorite ones, I've been binging on Rooster's Crow all day long. I've had it before, but it's a great, great album. Super catchy stuff on there. And Seven Shades of Blue is one of my favorite songs on there, and that really features his playing on there quite oh, a bit. Oh, yeah. Well, he make, yeah, I would say he makes the song. I'll ask you about another song later, but like, what's the story behind that song? Super catchy, man. Um, that one was more just sort of a uh, a study song. I started going through some old booklets and came across just I jotted down like two or three lines that uh, had just jotted down individually, and so I sort of just. I liked the three lines, even though they weren't necessarily connected. Uh-huh. And I connected them and built a song around that, which isn't... I write like that sometimes, but a lot of other times it's just a, 
a straight story that either, you know, personal or happened to somebody I know. But that one was more just, I built a song up from a couple songs that I really, a couple lines that I really liked. Seven Shades of Blue being one of them. Yeah. Do you think that living in Austin and working with these people had a big effect on your songwriting approach down there? No. No, not really. Uh, that is pretty much was just sort of established back in, I would even say high school. A lot of the stuff that's on the Gear Daddy's first, first album I wrote in high school, or not a lot, but two or three of them. So, you know, I've been kind of writing in that sort of country rock confessional sort of vein yeah. for a long, long time. Have you experimented with different types of songwriting styles like Dylan did like in the 70s? He hired, or he started hanging out with Ellen Ginsberg, the beat guys, and started just trying different stuff? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just you do it for a long enough and it's like you start really wanting to just try songwriting, songwriting as an exercise and because there are formulas for you know songwriting, whether you're aware of it or not, and if you do it long enough, you become very aware that oh, this is there's a math for lack of a better word to writing songs, and so I have tried to you know sat down and just tried to write songs as an exercise in songwriting rather than as a personal experience. Have you ever tried any like a? hip-hop style stuff to get out lyrics to spit out automatic thoughts or no 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 we did the gear daddies and this is the honest to god truth the gear daddies opened for the fat boys in the main in the main room at first avenue now there was just one day that i will never forget i got jail for something that i always regret it was 12 o'clock midnight and i wanted a snack so i headed downstairs for the fridge was packed and when i opened the door what did i see Once and we did a rap version of one of our songs, 218, which didn't go over well. <laughs> we, th we thought it was going to be hilarious and it really turned out not to be. But back then, we had, uh, I mean, the Gear Daddies would not be, or I wouldn't be for that matter, if it weren't for the fact that First Avenue just loved us and they supported us like crazy, especially Chrissy Dunlop, who was the booking agent at the time, or who booked the club at the time. And so there'd be cancellations, and she'd always give us a call to see if we wanted to do last-minute cancellations, and that literally was like four hours. The, the, on four hours' notice, they had someone that was supposed to fill the slot wow. in front of the fat boys, and she called us laughing, and we're like, hell yeah, we'll do it. And, and uh, obviously, it didn't go over well. We just were feeling in the time that it was one of our more memorable performances. <laughs> How did you guys make that connection from Austin to to First Ave? Um, well, we got into, and I don't, I assume it still happens, but there's there was a battle of the bands kind of thing. New band night at Seventh Street Entry, yep. like every Tuesday, and then uh, they would. Uh, at the end of every month, the staff at First Avenue, the booking people, the office people, the sound people, just would pick their favorite band of that month. And 
then at the end of the year, those bands, they would they would pick, I think, six of the 12. Then they would vote down, I think, to like six of the people that had won over the thing. And we were one of them. And it was that year, it was us, Run Westy Run, Trip Shakespeare, oh, the, yeah. uh, the Blue Up, and TVBC, and maybe the Clams. So, I mean, it was a pretty good year Isn't for Trip many. Shakespeare, Dan Wilson? Yeah, well, it, it was Matt, and I think Dan played with Trip Shakespeare a little bit, but his brother Matt was the was sort of the front man for it. Um, and they were a cool, quirky band, but yeah, it was a really good year for Minneapolis music. I wow. think three of us, four of us, I think, went on to get major label deals, which is pretty wild for, you know, one year and of new bands out of the 7th Street Entry. During those early years of opening up for folks at 7th Street Entry or First Ave on a four hours notice, do you have any funny stories or stories that stick out of people you did open for there, like the Fat Boys or something like that, that really would just kind of stick out like, wow, this is weird or this is cool or... Oh, I mean, a lot of cool ones. When people, there was, I think it was the 25th anniversary of First Avenue a while back and got, they're calling and asking people questions like your favorite First Avenue memories and I realized it's like, my favorite memories were not necessarily playing there but the shows I saw there and a lot of times it was the shows I saw who we had opened for or it was one of the big benefits too of knowing everyone there and being popular, you could get into all the shows. But we opened for, I mean, a, a big one for me was we opened for, it was just Randy and I did a uh, acoustic open for Warren Zavon. doing an opening, or doing an acoustic show himself in the main room. So Randy and I opened, which for me was like, just if someone had told me back when I was listening to Warren Zavon back in high school that someday I'd be opening for him, I would have been, you know, never believed it. But so we had, uh, we did our sound check and then kind of snuck to the back of the room to watch Warren Zavon's sound check. And, uh, he uh, afterwards came out and just started talking to us, and he's like the sweetest man in the world. And I'm just like, was my job? Couldn't believe us. And they're talking to him. And then I later found out that he's not known for being a terribly, or he wasn't known for being a terribly personable, nice guy. And he just couldn't have been sweeter and cooler. But I mean, a lot, yeah. I'll just seen so many great shows and opening. Over the years, like having opened for so many people that, you know, I was a huge fan of in high school. I opened for Neil Young, but that was at the Orpheum. But again, it's like, wow, you looking back, Neil Young? yeah, looking back again, like in Austin, Minnesota back in 1978, if you told me someday I was going to be opening for Neil Young. And again, it was me solo acoustic, and I was opening for him solo acoustic at. But I opened for Lucinda Williams' first two shows in Minneapolis. Again, solo acoustic. 
she was so acoustic now, so acoustic. No one knew who Lucinda was at that point other than Peter Jesperson, who's a legendary Minneapolis figure who was hip to so many cool bands way before anybody else was. Did you have a lot of interaction with these folks, like Lucinda Williams and Neil Young, and you said Warren's no, mom was pretty cool? Zero interaction with Neil Young. He just kind of, he walked on stage from his tour bus, they opened the side door, he walked on, he literally walked out, even during, while people were calling for an encore. He didn't even stay backstage long enough to, <laughs> so, and then he came right back out, and, but, uh, yeah, and met Lucinda and hung out with her in the basement of the Uptown both times. Um, not like we became close or anything, but definitely got that hangout. And, Chase, I mean, a, a lot of different people. Got to open for a lot of really, really cool people. Um, thinking about Warren's Vaughn real quick, for the folks out there that think all he, like, they would mostly know Werewolves of London and, right. you know, the modern mix-ups of that stuff. What are some of your, let's say, high school favorite Warren's Avon tracks that people should check out? Oh, well, I mean, I love, I love the, I love, well, Lori's Guns and Money is, like, one of my favorites, but... I went home with a waitress The way I always do Poor, poor, pitiful me. His version of that is just phenomenal, and I think I most people, most week. people remember. You think it's a you know Linda Ronstadt song because she covered it, but his version is just amazing. Um, and I like a lot of his later stuff. Uh, I was in the house when the house burned down. It's like one of I think one of the greatest, just catchy songs ever written. Yeah, he was a. I think he was. There was a lot more to Warren. Savant's songwriting, I, I think of him sort of like Randy Newman. Okay. Where they're well, just Randy phenomenal Newman. songwriters, but people tend to know them from a song that's not very representative of what they do overall. Like yeah. With Randy Newman, uh, short people. You know, everyone thinks of Randy, you know, I actually got to meet him once again in Austin, Texas. It was a Ryko Disc showcase, but during South by Southwest, and I've had that sort of thing with Zamboni, where a lot of people know me yeah. from this one song that's not in any way representative of what I've, you know, spent 30 years doing or yeah. writing. But that's, you know, the, that sort of was his, that was his, Short People was his sort of Zamboni, where he still has people come up and just say, Short People! <laughs> and I think Warren had that with, uh, with uh, Werewolves. Werewolves of London. And you know, I love both those songs, so it's like, <laughs> but, uh, no, I, every, every single Warren Zevon album I've liked, and same with Randy Newman, like, the, Randy Newman's early stuff is just amazing, too. Completely underrated, his, his early stuff, I think, is completely underrated as songwriting. Who was that that just said, I read in the news, like, in the last few days, some famous musician said that. Randy Newman is one of the best American songwriters like ever, and no one knows anything about it. I would agree, and I don't know. I don't know who said that, I'll but his, you know, his, yeah, his library is vast, and he's known for only a I like few things. But 
Oh, I've, I love it. It's just phenomenal. Dixie Flyer, that whole American, it's American Dream, I think it's called. Is it? Yeah. It's just an amazing album. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously known for short people, that kind of stuff. He's also known for the Toy Story, his soundtrack work, which is amazing, too. But his early albums, again, he was covered by a lot of people. His The versions of his songs are better known by the people who covered them, like Mama Told Me Not to Come, of just, uh, what, Three Dog Night? I believe so. Who covered it? Yeah, I mean, he wrote, you know, he's written songs that have become big hits for other people it, his versions are amazing. All right. Well, we'll wrap up episode one with Martin Zeller here in the Mark Stereo Music Podcast. you mind doing another quick couple episodes? Not at all. Okay. Thank you, Martin, for being on the show. And I always end every, show, every podcast with a story behind the song segment. Since we were talking so much about Rooster's Crow, um, when I had Winnem on, his favorite was uh, uh, running, from, running on Pure Fear. That was yeah. his favorite. I just listened on the way here. My favorite I'd like to ask you about, if you don't mind sharing the story behind the song, is the song Some Girls. Super catchy. One of my favorite songs off Rooster's Crow. Do you have a story behind that song? Uh, well, that one's definitely one I wrote as sort of an exercise, and I was actually writing it for, uh, writing it for a friend, a female singer, and it was called Some Boys. And then... Uh, or some guys, I can't remember what I was writing. So that was totally an exercise in writing kind of a pop song. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even intended to be, uh, for me to do it. And then at the last minute, decided to throw it out and try it. And I just tweaked the words <laughs> very, very last minute. But I like that. That's Lloyd, too, on Dobro, which I would say Lloyd's Dobro part on that, for me makes the whole thing work. What's your favorite song off Rooster's Crow? Drink the Poison? Ah, I love that. And Rooster's Crow is good. Uh, Rooster Crow, I, yeah, it's a, that's, that's a pretty... That whole album's pretty, pretty good. That's a pretty personal album, a lot of it. It goes, it kind of runs the gamut. But I love Running on Pure Fear. I like, uh, I love Took the Poison just because I, Kelly Willis sings, her vocal part is pretty prominent on that, which... I just love. Speaking of running on pure fear, I'm uh, that when you're screaming in there saying no one hates me more than I hate myself. That's some really. What were you thinking about? Dark. <laughs> oh yeah, Christ. no, you don't even want to go there. No, it was. Uh, yeah, that kind of was. Uh, wow, man. Definitely, it was written at a about as dark a time in my life as I had. Things are. Things are much much better, and I, that was that was a low point. So, but you know, it captured that, and it's a hard, it's kind of a hard album for me to listen to. But at the same time, that's why I think it makes it, you know, one of my favorite albums. It's sort of brutally honest and and captures a accurately captures where I was at at the time, good or bad. Who did the artwork? Uh, a guy named Dan Migler uh, at uh, Noiseland. Okay. He's uh, he's amazing. All right. 
Martin Zeller, thank you for being on the Mark Stereo Music Podcast. Please tune in next week for part two. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of the Mark Stereo Music Podcast. Hope you've enjoyed the program. We'll see you back here for a new podcast about life and times in the live and local music scene each and every Tuesday, if not before, on iTunes, SoundCloud, and most other places podcasts are available. This is a listener-supported podcast, so if you'd like to get on board, please visit patreon.com forward slash Mark Stary Music Podcast. If you enjoyed some of the musical edits on the show, please head on over to your local record store or do some digging on iTunes and load up on some new songs. Also, if you get a chance, please go check out some live music somewhere. It could be a great and worthwhile experience. Life is short. Go have some fun. Till next time. Some girls break easy Some girls play rough Some girls want pity They just can't get enough Some girls they give too much Some want it all for free And maybe somewhere there's a girl phone Maybe somehow there's a girl who could love